welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hi, and welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with Mackenzie and Micah. Uh, today, we are looking at the uh, very beginning of Quakerism with George Fox. Um, he was dealing with a lot of... Um, Frustration trying to find um, a religious group that actually fit what he was looking for. Um, I'm sure plenty of us have experienced difficulty finding a, a group where we fit. And here's what he has to say about that. And when all my hopes in them and in all men were gone, so that I had nothing outwardly to help me, nor could tell what to do, then, oh then, I heard a voice which said, There is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to thy condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. Then the Lord did let me see why there was none upon the earth that could speak to my condition, namely that I might give him that namely that I might give him all the glory. And this I knew experimentally. And I should note that experimentally means experientially, except that, you know, it's three hundred years ago and words changed. So this this was uh, like Mackenzie says, this was a sort of a culminate a culminating event for George Fox because he had been roaming the English countryside trying to find someone or something that could speak to his condition, that could speak to the hunger that he had uh, for truth and righteousness. And finally, when all of his hopes in finding this from people were gone, he'd basically reached a place of despair. Uh, he found that the voice of Jesus speaking to him, in his experience, saying uh, there is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to your condition. There is one, not 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 one of these teachers uh, who who has you know a, a, a went to Oxford went or Cambridge Oxford. or wherever. Right, not not one not one of these preachers, not one of these communities out here who think they have the answers, but Christ Himself uh, can teach you and guide you and lead you. And so that was that was that was an epiphany for George Fox, and and really was was the epiphany that ultimately would ignite the Quaker movement. Um, I think that there are sort of three main ideas in this passage that we're going to want to highlight. Um, one is that um, this epiphany that George Fox had it didn't come when he was sort of feeling good and self satisfied. It came when he he was at the end of his rope, like he was in a he was in a place of, of near despair. Right, and we were talking a few episodes ago about the unworthiness right um, stage of the spiritual search. Right. Um, so, the second point that's important to note from this passage is that um, Jesus spoke directly to George Fox's condition. Um, Fox wasn't able to find uh, what he was looking for anywhere else except directly from Jesus, and, and he says that. Uh, this 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 happened this way because if he had if he had if he had received this from anyone else from a person or from a movement um, he might have attributed it to that movement or that person rather than to God himself and so it was important that this that this experience come directly from God oh okay I never really noticed that before and so the third thing that we probably want to take from this passage is that um, for George Fox and I think for us today. Uh, it was that it was that firsthand experience that was so vital, uh, and 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 you know someone someone could have come to George Fox you know a week earlier and said you know really you really just need to listen to the voice of Jesus in your heart and he'll lead you and it'll be okay and that would have been meaningless to George Fox because he didn't hear the voice, but when he did hear the voice that was when the epiphany happened that was when he, when he realized yes this is true this is for me 
Um, and so uh, something that comes out of this passage is the essential, the, the, the essential nature of first-hand experience of God and not just, not just sort of having a theoretical idea about God. Well, which I, I think a few episodes when we, well, when we did that episode um, talking about um, the unworthiness, etc., spiritual search stuff, um, we talked about how, you know, in some other denominations, it's um, common for people to give their testimony and say how God has intervened in their life. And we don't tend to hear that so much from friends today. We will hear it some in, in messages during meeting for worship, um, but with usually with language that is downplaying the um, overtly spiritual aspect of it, if that makes sense. Um, but when you look at George Fox or when you look at any of the older friends, when you look in their journals, you see this very, um, very overt, very religious language talking about the um, struggles that they have and just very much putting it out there, which we don't really tend to do so much nowadays. Yeah, well, you know, the early Quakers were wild, and I feel like I've probably said this a few times, but I mean, they were sort of, um, think, just get in your imagination uh, whether you've been to sort of a Pentecostal revival type thing or not, uh, just get your imagination of what that might be like, of, of just a really wild uh, Pentecostal service. Like, that was sort of the vibe with Quakers. There's a Pentecostal church a block from my meeting house. I should go visit. Yeah. Um, Quakers, Quakers were a pretty out there group. And in fact, uh, expand your mind even from Pentecostals. Now, imagine those Pentecostals uh, evangelize like Hare Krishna's or uh, or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're out on the streets uh, telling people to you know to turn to God, and here's how you do it. Um, Quakers were really wild; they were really annoying to most people. <laughs> um, and so, like, well, they did get thrown in jail a lot, <laughs> right? I, I, I think I think it's easy. I think it's easy for those of us, especially those of us who are involved with Quakers today, to um, to imagine somehow that there's just this line of middle-class respectability that goes all the way back to George Fox. And in fact, that just couldn't be further from the truth. The early Quakers were not respectable. Uh, they were frequently jailed. Um, and for good reason, they were absolutely uh, inconsiderate of the existing order uh, and had no use for it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think uh, it can't be emphasized enough, sort of, the, the, the radical nature of the early Quakers, and frankly, the fact that most of us wouldn't like them if we met them today. Well, okay, tangent though, because the the Pentecostal thing, um, I think it's it's actually interesting when you look at like how they were back then, right? And then you have the quietest period where friends really settled down into being not so in your face and not so going out and, and you know, being Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, more of silence during meeting for worship, less charismatic fervor, all of that stuff. And when that happens, that's when the actual Pentecostal movement starts up. Mm. Is once Quakers quiet down, then the Pentecostal movement starts up. And some of the original Pentecostals were ex-Quakers. Mm. And you know they're even they're even a pacifist. They're even a peace church, just like us. Um, and 
so I've actually heard it suggested that the Pentecostals and Quakers are actually the same religion, just the the extrovert version and the introvert version. It's an Indian and Audi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the Quakers are introverted Pentecostals. Um, except I'm really an extrovert. Like, I just randomly talk to people on the metro and stuff. I'm one of those people. So I would say it's more of outgoing versus Wallflower. Because you put me in a party and I'm up against the wall. There's a lot of people here. And I like being around all those people. But I only like talking one at a time. And I'm definitely not dancing unless it's choreographed. So, um... <laughs> Some of us experience sort of a dramatic awakening or conversion, but others have have a much more, a much smoother transition in their faith. And I, you know, I think about the difference between myself and my wife. My wife, uh, she has just sort of always had a relationship with God since childhood, and there was never really a dramatic rupture or break. There was never a huge conversion experience. She has just kind of grown in her relationship with God as she's grown as a person. Whereas for me. Uh, I, I also had a relationship with God as a child, but that got disrupted, and I had you know a very tumultuous childhood and adolescence, and fought with God a lot, and uh, for a while didn't believe in God, um, and and wasn't involved in religion for quite a while, and eventually came back, and I did have like specific moments, and there wasn't just one, but there were like there were a couple really big ones. Um, where I had, you know, sort of a George Fox moment of like, there is one Christ Jesus who can speak to your condition. It's like, I had moments when God just sort of showed up in my life and it was an explosive moment um, that really sort of changed the trajectory of my life. And so I wonder why, why is it that some of us, you know, is just a defect in my personality could be, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but some of us seem to have these sort of, and George Fox certainly did, seem to have these sort of explosive um, reorienting moments with God, where God, you know, breaks in, and other people, it's just more of a, it's more of a gentle transition. Yeah, it was more of the gradual thing. Mm-hmm. Well, another interesting thing is that in the evangelical tradition, uh, it's expected that you're going to have sort of a come to Jesus moment where, um, where you're like how changes. that I like how that terminology has also started to like. Well, how how the phrase "come to Jesus" moment is used, not only for religion now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 there's an expectation in the evangelical community generally that you're that you know that you know what day you were saved on. Right. And I remember somebody being in meeting, somebody visiting um, in meeting several years ago. Who um, he stood up during meeting, he gave his testimony, and he said, "I was saved on such and such date 13 years ago," and we were all like looking at him like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> because it's that's not normal vocabulary among the liberal unprogrammed mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Quakers at least. Do you stick around? But no, um, I think he was just like a. Vi- I mean, it's Washington D.C. I think he was a tourist. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it that's very. I I understand that it is a common thing for evangelicals, and it's still a very odd thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, so, but it, to me, it's interesting. It's interesting because uh, it's so normative for evangelicalism. But I know, you know, my wife grew up in in evangelicalism, and it wasn't her experience. And so, uh, I just wonder, you know, in sort of in both camps, I think, you know, and like for example, I think in a lot of church circles, uh, like probably in the Roman Catholic tradition, there's not an expectation that there's this sort of like uh, conversion moment. No. Um, I mean, you start initi- you're usually initiated about about a month old, uh, or start the initiation. Um, if 
the th second sacrament of initiation is your first Holy Communion at age seven, and then you've got your confirmation at age thirteen is the third sacrament of initiation, at which point you are a full member of the church. And so it would be it would be totally normal for like from a Catholic perspective if you went your whole life without having any sort of mystical experience of God. I mean, they certainly have a a mystic side to them because there's you know contemplative prayer, etc. is sure. certainly a big thing for. But it's sort of an Catholics. extra. It's sort of an extra, not an essential. I guess. I mean, it's it's not so much of a explosive struck you know strike you blind road to Damascus type of right. thing. And I re recently read that it's not that Paul didn't decide to go to Damascus until after the thing. Therefore, it's not really the road to Damascus. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, you know what you said about faith um, about your wife um, made me think of. Did you ever see the movie Saved? Uh, I think I think I have yeah. During the intro, when she says, "I'm a born again Christian, and I've been a born again Christian my entire life," <laughs> and you're like, "Well, hang on. So, then how many, when when was the second one?" <laughs> was that was that a documentary or mockumentary? Uh, it's a comedy. Okay. It's just a comedy movie. It's not a documentary. Oh, it's not even a mockumentary. No, no, it's just a comedy. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, maybe maybe I haven't seen it. I should watch that. Uh, not, uh, yeah. Anyway, um. So, um, what, for, for, for those of us who haven't had this sort of, you know, Holy Ghost explosion experience of like transformation and conversion at a particular moment, um, is there, is there value to that, to that narrative? Um, on the one hand, I think that y'all who have the, um, very sudden thing, um, probably have more compelling testimonies to share um, when when telling somebody about you know when when trying to talk to somebody who is not a believer. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like the gradual thing is you know as a testimony is useful for keeping people who have also done the gradual thing from feeling like left out. Because right. like if there's that expectation in evangelical culture that of course you're going to have that one sudden thing and if you're just sitting there waiting and waiting and going, why hasn't it happened yet? Right. That, you know, knowing that other people also have the gradual thing um, is <laughs> probably very useful. Right. Yeah, I, I know that uh, at a certain point in my life when I was doing a lot of speaking, uh, uh, sort of in Quaker circles and, and talking a lot about my faith, I would have people come up to me and say, you know, I really, I really wish I had experiences like yours, but I've really never had that kind of experience. Um, and uh, I think, I think there was sort of a wondering, like, well, does that mean I'm not really like a legit Quaker or a legit Christian because I haven't had this experience? Mm -hmm. and, and I hope, I hope that we can, I hope that we can, uh, I hope that we can have space for people that have different experiences. Um, I think, I think the, I think the critical thing is uh, not so much how did it happen and at what time did it happen and what way did it happen but did it happen has it happened is it happening do you you know have you had that encounter are you having that encounter with Jesus as the one who can speak to your condition um and are you being you know sort of uh drawn out of of the 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 faddish and false teachings of the world and taught directly by Jesus and that I, I, you know, I don't think that it requires uh, sort of a an on-the-spot conversion experience like some of us have sort of had. Um, 
but it, it, it does require something out of the ordinary in terms of what's expected, you know, by this world, I think. Well, and, um, you know, I think it's pretty common, um, at least in Floral Branch, where we are very, very seeker-friendly, um, to have um, people start coming to meeting like I did um, without having had any sort of conversion experience beforehand and um, stick around, you know, years and um, then maybe they do over the course of time have a gradual thing, um, but even then maybe don't, um, still don't apply the name Jesus or the word Christ to um, whatever that experience is. Um, I know that uh, you know, some people will stop at just saying the divine. You know, maybe they, they were atheists, but now they're saying, okay, you know, there's a divine, um, something that they have come to believe in. Um, I would say... And that they've experienced during meeting. I would say, though, that, like, I don't see, I don't see the, 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 uh, explosive conversion experience versus the gradual. I don't see that as actually being a Christian distinction, um, in that, um, in, in terms of like identifying as a Christian, because I actually became, I became a liberal Quaker who didn't identify as Christian as the result of an explosive religious experience. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that part. So, I mean, I, I very quickly did become a Christian, but like I didn't, like the day after that experience, I didn't suddenly identify as a Christian. Okay. Right? So... I mean, I, I mean, I personally did come to liberal Quakerism as someone who had had a, a powerful, you know, sort of explosive religious experience. Interesting. Okay. I, I was thinking that that the the non-theist path was probably more more trod by the gradual people, but okay. It, it could be. That could be. I mean, I never identified as a non-theist, um, but I, but I did not I did not identify as a Christian when I first came uh, to Quakerism. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I guess one last thing is, is there a particular way that you distinguish between, um, between having, um, Jesus or the divine, whatever, um, speak to your condition versus, um, like a pang of conscience, like something that's, um, do, do you feel like conviction and having your conscience tweak at you are the same thing or is there a difference i don't think it's the same thing because i've um well it's, it also sort of depends on what you mean by conscience but if you mean you feel bad about something uh or feel bad about something that it feels like you did something wrong sometimes um i sort of i sort of view this as the conscience is something that is formed it's its natural faculty mm -hmm. um like like your sense of hearing or sight um, and the conscience is formed by experience and by repetition and by habit. Um, and so it is possible to, it's possible to have a conscience that, that, that uh, I think actually, you know, the early friends talked about this and, and talked about how, um, you know, a, a, Muslim, uh, a Muslim might uh, have a, a, a conviction of conscience about not drinking alcohol, but not have a conviction of, con conviction of conscience about having multiple wives, whereas, a, whereas someone in England, a Christian in England, um, would have a conviction, a conviction of conscience uh, if they thought about having multiple wives, but they had no problem drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and sort of pointed to, pointed to the ability of the conscience to be changed um, and, and, and uh, altered by habit and by, and by culture. Um, so I think the conscience, Quakers have always thought that it's very important to pay attention to your conscience and to not 
to not violate your conscience. Um, however, the conscience is distinct from the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so that's something that's tricky for me on a personal level, um, figuring out when I feel bad about something, is this because of my cultural conditioning? Or is this because God is God? God doesn't want me involved in this kind of thing. So that, I, I think it's, I think it's actually really tricky. And I think I think Quakers like me have often made the mistake of portraying it as being too easy to know, when in fact it often is very mysterious and not always clear. Um, but I think I think friends friends teaching for a long time has been it's better to err on the side of not violating your conscience. This concludes episode 15 of Quaker Faith and Podcast. We would love to hear from you in the comments on the blog with what your experience was regarding um, gradual versus explosive, as Micah put it, conversion. Um, or, you know, are you are you still in the middle of gradual? Are you still waiting? How's, how's that all going? Um, also, uh, as mentioned in episode at the end of episode 14, we have added a Patreon account. That is in hopes of getting transcription for our episodes so that we can share this with people who are deaf and hard of hearing uh, rather than have them be left out of the party. So we would love it if you would support that. Uh, you can find us on the web, quakerpodcast.org, facebook.com slash quakerpodcast, twitter.com slash quakerpodcast, and as mentioned, patreon.com slash quakerpodcast. We've made it nice and easy. They all match. <laughs>